Hey friends, thanks for clicking the button and being here with us today. <laughs> no? <laughs> thanks for clicking the button? Yeah, they had to click a button oh, to okay. watch us or listen to this. So we appreciate that. So we're glad you're here. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we've got a lot of things going on here at Christ Community Church, and we would love for you to get connected and be a part of it in any way that you can. Uh, head over to our website. Um, you can go to our coming up page yeah. and see all the things that are happening. Again, a lot of things are going to be starting here in the next week or so so be sure to check that out and like and subscribe so more of our content comes in your feed um, and enjoy the message hello christ community so glad all of you are here welcome to you and to all of those who are watching this online and also those who are listening to our podcast we just did some analytics and found out we have people regularly listening to this podcast from 42 countries around the world which is so awesome so welcome and hello to those of you who are a part of this family all around the world so we're in a teaching series where we're walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're finding that even though this letter was written 2,000 years ago, it has significant relevance for us today. We just finished exploring chapters 5 through 7, where Paul addresses various um, issues and themes surrounding the, the area of, of sexuality, which was obviously incredibly relevant to our culture today, to our lives today. So today we're starting chapter 8, as we're walking through this book, starting chapter 8. Here's how chapter 8 begins. Now, about food sacrificed to idols. Well, that's quite a shift uh, from the incredibly relevant topic of sex to the topic of food sacrificed to idols. I mean, what a yawner, right? Um, we don't have temples. We don't have, you know, we don't sacrifice animals and religious rituals and then eat the food from that. How is this section going to possibly be relevant to us well, that's the question that I was earnestly asking as I began to prepare this message and work on it. I was starting to research and look at commentaries and listen to some other sermons and all that, just trying to get a feel for the relevance of this passage in our lives today. And, and, here's, and, and, and what I discovered is that what's going on in 1 Corinthians chapters 8, 9, and 10, these chapters is incredibly relevant in terms of the broader issues that Paul is raising. What Paul is addressing in these chapters is the issue of how Christians are to engage their culture without being negatively influenced by their culture. I mean, here is this church in the middle of a very pagan, spiritually dark, sexually promiscuous city called Corinth, and the people in this church are, are trying to figure out not only how do we follow Jesus in a culture like this, but how do we also engage with our culture in such a way that actually has an impact? And this is incredibly relevant to us today. So broadly speaking, when you talk about engagement, how Christians are to engage in culture, broadly, there's kind of a continuum, but broadly speaking, there are two kind of general approaches on the ends of this that Christians tend to utilize or think about in their approach to culture. There are those who feel like the only way to follow God is to completely remove ourselves from culture because of how spiritually dark things are. And then there are those on the other side who say, no, the only way to influence culture is to intentionally engage with and immerse ourselves in culture. And so what happens in the middle of these two things, in the middle of this tension, is that there are all sorts of gray areas where sincere Christian, Christians, sincere Christ followers disagree 
on whether or not Christians should engage in something. For instance, yoga. Some Christians love doing yoga for the physical benefits it provides them, while other Christians feel like yoga is evil and it opens the door to the spirit realm. Or what about Halloween? Should Christians let their kids trick or treat? Many of you uh, remember 1997 when J.K. Rowling uh, wrote the first Harry Potter book. That was a huge controversy. Some Christians felt like this was a gateway into the demonic for our children. Others were like, it's a fantasy book that teaches some valuable lessons. See, all of these are examples of the larger issue that Paul is addressing in chapters 8, 9, and 10. How are we as Christ followers to engage our culture and impact our culture without being negatively influenced by our culture? Now, the particular issue that Paul addresses here is the issue of Christ followers eating meat sacrificed to idols. What is that about? Well, we'll, we'll look at it. But while, while we can't relate to this specific issue, the, this is what's important. The way Paul navigates this is incredibly helpful for us in learning how to navigate similar issues in our own culture, in terms of engaging culture. So what was going on? The city of Corinth um, was a spiritually dark city. I already said that. And the, the reason I say that is because there were temples everywhere. On every street corner, there were temples devoted to various gods, Aphrodite, Artemis, Poseidon, Apollo, Zeus, to name a few. And many people, it was common for people to just stop into a, a, a temple every day and to offer a sacrifice. But they were not only places of religious sacrifices, they were also places where people hung out. They were places where people gathered socially. So temples were sort of like a combination of sanctuary and brewery today. So, you know, people had social events at temples, which is what caused the controversy in the Corinthian church. Should Christians even hang out in these places? Should they eat meat from animals that have been sacrificed to idols in these temples? Um, and do, do you see, or should they just stay away completely? Do you see how, how the, there could be this tension that Christians would wrestle with? Some would be like, no way. Christians should not go near a temple and certainly not eat food that had been sacrificed to idols. And others would be like, hold it. We know that idols are not real gods and that God is Lord, so why should it matter? So what Paul does in addressing this tension is to give us three crucial concepts that must work in tandem in order for us to navigate issues like this. Okay, first crucial concept has to do with freedom. Freedom, the freedom that comes from the gospel. So look with me beginning in verse four. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, they had asked him about this in their previous letter. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and from whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. See, Paul is acknowledging the cultural reality that there are many so-called gods and lords. I mean, people were going to temples every day to offer sacrifices as a way to appease that particular God that they believed in. If you wanted good crops, then you needed to make a sacrifice to whatever God oversees crops. Um, and maybe that God would bless you. And if you wanted good health, then you needed to make a sacrifice to whatever God was over that area. And again, hoping you know, that God would help you. 
Now notice, Paul's not saying here that these gods actually exist. What he's saying is that people believe they exist and they're trying to appease these gods and lords through various sacrifices. So they're real, they are real in, in the sense that they're having an impact upon people. So Paul articulates this glorious truth that as Christians, we are no longer in bondage to a system like that where we have to live in fear and jump through certain hoops and make certain sacrifices in order to please God, these gods and the lords. Why? Because as Paul says in verse six, for us, there is but one God, the father from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. See, the gospel, what he's talking about here, the gospel is this glorious news that there is one God who is Lord and King. And this God loves us as a father, so much so that he sent his son Jesus to pay the price for our sin and our failures and our shortcomings, which means that we can find life in and through him. We can find life, a life in which we're completely accepted and loved and valued and invested in. When we place our trust in Jesus, we are given life as a gift, which means we are now freed from having to perform and having to try to measure up and having to try to appease the gods or the big G God. No, there is a, we don't have to try to please him. There is a glorious freedom that is ours in Christ, which directly impacts our ability to engage our culture. We are free to enjoy good things. We are free to experience life. We are free to engage with our culture without fear. See, Paul, part of what Paul's implying here is that with this knowledge, Christians should be the most joyful, fearless people on the planet because our God is King and Lord and he loves us and he delights in us and he accepts us and he values us. We don't need to prove anything. We, we don't need the approval of others. We don't need to be afraid of the economy or elections or whatever. We can fully experience and engage in life as beloved, accepted children of God who live in and through and for him. This includes the, and this includes the food that we eat, verse 8. But food does not bring us near to God. We're no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Raylene and I have been doing this 21-day bone broth diet. Uh, it's really hard. Uh, no sugar, no dairy, no carbs, no happiness. Uh, but anyway, we're, we're on like day seven, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking of using this verse as my get-out-of-jail-free card. But uh, I'll think about that later. Um, but seriously, Paul, Paul is highlighting the freedom we have in Christ to not be spiritually bound by the foods we eat. Now, there are obviously health benefits to eating certain foods and taking care of our bodies, but it is, it is not a way to earn acceptance. It is not a way to appease God, okay? So that's the first concept Paul is articulating here, the concept of gospel freedom. All right, second crucial concept Paul brings up is the concept of conscience. Conscience. 
this freedom that Paul is describing here is not something that every Christ follower is able to fully embrace for one reason or another. So Paul begins, brings this up, verse 7. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it's, just, it's defiled. Okay, so what's happening here? There are certain people in the church of Corinth who, before they became Christians, they were fully participating in this system of idol worship. They were going to temples. They were offering sacrifices. They were believing these gods would bless them as a result. They were, this is the way they lived. And then they heard about Jesus. And they came to know him. And, and, and were now growing in their relationship with him. But because of their past history, whenever they got near a temple, even if it was just to have an Apollo burger or Zeus fries or whatever, anytime they got near to a temple, they, they kind of freaked out, spiritually speaking. They couldn't do it. They couldn't disconnect their past experience of eating food in the temple from their current reality. They, they couldn't fully live in the freedom that was theirs in Christ. Now notice here, this is really important. Paul doesn't shame these people. He doesn't shame these people. He doesn't tell them, come on, get over it, be more mature. No, Paul actually acknowledges that if, if they were to force themselves to eat food sacrificed to idols, it would defile their conscience. As one scholar articulates, it would create this moral dissonance between their head and their heart, which would damage their relationship with Christ. Now, the phrase Paul uses to describe this is that these people have a weak conscience. In other words, their conscience doesn't allow them to fully embrace the freedom that is theirs, which Paul makes clear here. He makes clear that this is totally understandable. Totally understandable they would feel that way, as given their previous associations with idol worship in the temple. So the word weak in Paul's mind isn't about weakness, it's about sensitivity. These people have a more sensitive conscience and with good reason. So an example of this might be someone who grew up in an alcoholic home out with an alcoholic parent and they experienced the devastation of having an alcoholic parent. <clears throat> so now as an adult, they've grown up now, as an adult, this person whose parent was an alcoholic, this person, they cannot bring themselves to drink alcohol in any form. Now, even though at one level they know there is freedom in Christ to drink in moderation, for them to do so would be to violate their own conscience on this matter. Here's another example, personal example. There are certain social media platforms that I have deleted from my phone because they open a door to things from my past that are not helpful to me, whether it's lust or comparison or whatever. Do I think these social media platforms are wrong for every Christ follower? No. I just know that for me to engage in those would quickly derail my relationship with Jesus. Look, I am happy to admit that in this example, I'm the weak one. I'm the one with the sensitive conscience, or weak in the, in the terms of Paul. I'm the one with the sensitive conscience. I'm not fully able to live in the freedom that Christ paid for. I know my vulnerabilities and weaknesses. Now, might there be a day in the future when I'm able to engage in those platforms without them leading me into unhealthy places? Maybe. 
I think that's part of the hope for all of us, that over time, as we grow in Christ, we get stronger in some of these spiritual realities and freedom and all that. But in this season of my, in this season of my life, this is my reality. What Paul is saying here is that our consciences matter. Even if they're more sensitive than other people's consciences, they matter. And we need to pay attention to those places or those activities where our moral alarm may be sounding while other Christians have no problem with that activity. See, if we don't pay attention to our own conscience, we're going to be engaging in things in our culture that are spiritually damaging to us. Now, here's the challenge. This is really, really important. For those of us who find ourselves in this position of a more sensitive conscience related to some area, if you find yourself just like I described, here's the challenge for us who find ourselves in that situation. Our challenge is to not project onto everyone else our particular conscience, that no Christian should ever take a drink. Uh, or no Christian would do yoga, or no Christian should ever be on that social media platform, or whatever the gray issue happens to be. Because see, that, that posture creates all sorts of problems, including us becoming really judgy towards other people, and angry, and bitter, and legalistic, projecting our moral compass onto everyone else, which totally ignores the foundational reality of our freedom in Christ. Okay, so all of this leads, freedom, conscience, leads to the third crucial concept that Paul then adds to this mix. And this is really at the heart of this whole discussion. It's the foundational concept of love. How should someone who is fully living in the freedom that there's in Christ respond to a fellow believer who has a more sensitive conscience in some area? Now, I want us to go back to the start of this chapter where Paul initially jumps in to the subject. He begins his argument by articulating his main point right off the bat. Look with me at verse one. Now, about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. This is so powerful and convicting. He's talking, about the, he's talking to those who are more fully living in their, the knowledge of their freedom in Christ. They know that idols are nothing. They know that God's in charge. And he's saying, look, look, look you've got the knowledge right. But that knowledge in and of itself is potentially dangerous. Because what Paul says, what knowledge tends to do is puff up. This phrase means to fill with pride like a balloon fills with air. I have knowledge. I know who I am in Christ. I know who God is and that these idols are nothing and that they have no power over me. I walk in freedom. I'm gonna eat whatever I wanna eat. Yeah. See, Paul is warning us that that knowledge, that confidence of our freedom in Christ can suddenly become damaging to others if love is not our primary motivation. See, freedom is awesome. But in the kingdom of God, freedom always defers to love. Freedom's awesome. But in the kingdom of God, freedom always defers 
to love. Freedom is second chair stuff. Love is always in the first chair. And when we forget this, our knowledge of our freedom in Christ can actually do a lot of damage to other people. I love how bluntly Paul says this, looking in verse two. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. That'd be a great verse to memorize and use it strategically. No, whatever. Uh, those who think they know something do not know yet, do not yet know as they ought to know. See, what he's saying here is if our knowledge of God and Christ starts making us look down on other people, or not caring for other people who aren't as mature as we are, aren't as free as we are, we don't know as much as we think we know. Our knowledge has inflated us with pride. Here's true knowledge, verse three. But whoever loves God is known by God. That'd probably be a better verse to memorize right there. Whoever loves God is known by God. That's the knowledge that matters. Not how much spiritual truth we've stuffed into our brains. No, it's whether our heart is filled with love for God to such an extent that we are known by God, that we are allowing ourselves to be known by God. That's the opposite of pride. That's humility. Allowing God into our weaknesses, letting ourselves be completely known by him. Okay, so with that foundation, let's look at what Paul says we're supposed to do when our personal freedom collides with love. Verse nine, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights, i.e. your freedom, does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge, Eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. He's talking about how our knowledge of our freedom in Christ can actually harm another person's relationship with Christ, which is not loving. In this example, this person whose past history makes it really hard for them to eat meat or have a meal in an idol's temple, that person sees you eating in the temple. And they are now emboldened to eat what their conscience won't allow them to. And the damage is significant. I mean, Paul's verbiage here is so serious. This person, he says, is destroyed by your actions. That's the language he uses. Your freedom is negatively impacting their walk with Jesus. And he doesn't let up. Verse 12, look at this. When you sin against them in this way, just by eating a meal in a temple, but if you, you know, when you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Think about what he's saying here. We can be fully operating in our freedom in Christ and be sinning against him at the same time. How? By letting our freedom override love. By letting our freedom to do what we want to do cause harm to someone else. Now let me be clear about something. This too is really important. When Paul is talking, he uses language of stumbling block. When Paul's talking about you know, something being a stumbling block to someone else, he is not talking about personal offense. 
He is not talking about a situation in which these weaker conscience people see other people in the eating in the temple and they're offended by it and they get all judgy. No, that's not the scenario he's describing. Paul, listen, Paul is not encouraging this culture of offense that is so prevalent today. Oh, your words or your actions offended me, so I'm gonna cancel you, I'm gonna boycott you, I'm gonna burn your books, whatever. That's happening at both sides of the political scene in our culture, and it's also happening among Christians as well. And listen, listen, friends, this is not how we engage our culture, by being offended all the time. That's not how Jesus taught us to live. How did Jesus teach us to engage culture? Read the Sermon on the Mount, especially the Beatitudes. Those are our marching orders. Okay, back to what Paul's talking about. Paul is not saying if your actions might offend another person, don't do that. It's not what he's saying. This is not about personal offense. This is about spiritual damage. The spiritual damage that we cause to another person with our actions. Paul is talking about the crucial importance of us being sensitive to the fact that our expression of our freedom in Christ could be spiritually detrimental to a brother or sister in Christ. And if that's the case, our freedom takes a backseat to love. Again, freedom is great, and it's a high value in the kingdom of God, but it is not the highest value in the kingdom of God. Love is, always. Love is the highest value. Placing the needs of others before our own needs. That's the currency of the kingdom of God. Love is the currency of the kingdom of God. And that is to be the currency of the people of God in their interactions with one another. See, Paul is saying that when love is the highest value, we want to make sure, if love's the highest value in my heart, we want to make sure that my freedom or our freedom doesn't cause any brother or sister in Christ to stumble in their relationship with Jesus in an area in which their conscience is weak or sensitive. So look at Paul's summary statement, verse 13. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. This is an amazing statement. Paul is like, I don't want to cause anyone to fall into sin. So if my actions would lead to that in someone's life, I'm not doing it. If it means I never eat meat again, it's worth that. Because my brother or sister's relationship with Christ is more important to me than the food I eat. Paul's heart is the heart of Christ who gave up his freedom and his riches and his privileges, his privileged status. He gave up those things to come to earth and to give his life for those who are weak, those who are not as mature, those who are struggling, in other words, for you and me. Jesus did that so that we could experience life in him. See, the gospel is at the heart of how we engage culture and how we do so in a way that honors each other. Honors each other. Okay, so what does this mean, practically speaking? Let me offer a few specific application points. First, we as Christians, we need to get comfortable with gray areas like yoga, Halloween, politics, Christian education versus public education versus homeschooling. Look, it is totally fine 
to have strong opinions about any of these areas, but do not turn them into black and white issues, insisting that every other Christian is sinning for not believing like you do. We can agree to disagree and do so in an agreeable way that honors Christ. Look, in our angry, polarized culture, let's, as Christ followers, let's choose to live differently toward one another. Let's choose love. Second application point. When there is a gray area in which our actions could be potentially harmful to a brother or a sister in Christ who has a sensitive conscience about that, a more sensitive conscience than we do about that, let's choose love. I'm, th I'm thinking of a friend of mine who, for years, let alcohol run his life, and it caused a lot of damage. So he has recently had a significant and life-changing encounter with Jesus, and as a part of that, has stopped drinking alcohol completely. He told me the other day, he's like eight months sober. Stop drinking alcohol completely. So knowing his situation, I'm a friend, knowing his situation, if I were to go to dinner with this friend, or, or, or invite him to some gathering or whatever. Would, would it be loving for me to order a margarita? Or, or to provide alcohol at the gathering I'm hosting and inviting him to? Look, I'm certainly free in Christ to have a margarita. I am free in Christ to have a drink. But would that be loving? Again, I'm not talking about someone getting offended. I'm talking about me choosing to do something that I am totally free to do, but would be potentially harmful to my friend who was a new believer in Jesus and trying to break free from his connection to alcohol. What would love do? Another example, let's say you know your friend struggles with lust. So would it be loving to talk glowingly to him or her about this amazing Netflix show you're watching when you know it's a show that has some nudity and sexual themes? And let's say those things don't bother you, but they could encourage your friend to watch something that would be harmful to them. See, as we're prayerfully trying to discern how we are to engage our culture, we need to remember that when our personal freedom, when our freedom in Christ collides with love, love needs to win. Third application point. When you are the one with the more sensitive conscience in a particular area, remember that your conscience matters. And that just because other Christians are doing something doesn't mean you should do that if you know it's going to be harmful for your walk with Jesus. Don't be offended. Don't be judgy. But be wise. And pay attention to your spirit-infused conscience on the matter. So in this chapter, Paul is giving us the foundation. We're going to look at chapters 9 and 10, a few more, just to walk through this whole how you engage culture. But in this chapter, Paul is giving us a foundation for how we are to engage our culture. And it begins right here, within the body of Christ. Let's celebrate our freedom in Christ. Let's pay attention to our conscience. And let's always, always always walk in love. Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray. We're going to, let's stand as we enter into a time of um, response. We like to do this here after the message, stand just to kind of 
give our, get us to wake up a little bit and standing in the Lord's presence if you're able to stand. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray this simple, ancient prayer. Three words, come Holy Spirit. And what we're going to do is for a minute, we're going to just have silence. And we're going to wait on the Lord. We're going to let him speak. We're going to let him move. We rarely do this in our busy culture, right? So, but we want to do it. We want to quiet our souls before him. So let's do that. If you want to have your hands open in a posture of receptivity, that's awesome. So Holy Spirit, come. We open our hearts and our minds and our bodies to you and we welcome you. Come, Holy Spirit. God, we want to say yes to whatever you're saying to us. We want to be a people who honors each other. As we engage with culture, thank you for the wisdom of your word. Thank you for the freedom that is ours in Christ. Thank you that our consciences matter. And thank you that love is always first chair. So as we were responding to the Lord, we were praying earlier, and I had this picture that I, I believe is a picture of what God is inviting some of us into. It was a person with really hard, shiny, uncomfortable shoes. You know, the kind you only wear to weddings and they're really uncomfortable. Um, but that hard, just... And I felt like the Lord was inviting some of us here to remove that hard, rigid shoe that we've lived in, not literally, metaphorically in terms of some of these gray areas. We've got a hard edge. And he wants to replace it. I just feel like in this picture, he's removing that and he's replacing it with a really comfortable, really comfortable shoe. It's like this invitation to walk in love. It's not about rigidity and all that. It's to walk in love. And so God, I want to pray for all of us here. Lord, if we have areas or certain areas in our lives where we're really walking in that, that rigid, formal, you know, uptight kind of shoe, would you, would you remove that? And would you teach us how to walk in love? 
and to see people see others in Christ that we disagree with on these gray areas, to not see them as the enemy, but to see them as a brother or sister that we, just, we, agree, we agree to disagree with. And Father, I want to pray just for our own consciences, for those of us who maybe have a, a weaker, sensitive conscience in an area, and we've kind of been letting other Christians sway us. Oh, they're doing that. And it's a gray area, and we need, would you help us acknowledge the moral alarm in our own heart and say, no, they're free to do that, but I, I can't do that. It's not helpful for me. So I want to pray for the courage to be sensitive to our conscience, that you would fill our conscience. Lord, sometimes our consciences are over, um, they're, yeah, they're overactive, and I want to pray for that as well. Those who have an overly active conscience, God, that, that um, you would lift that off. This is not about fear, guilt, shame. This is just about knowing ourselves and knowing our weaknesses and places where others may be free in Christ, but we know that's not good for us. And then finally, Lord, I wanna pray that you would help us walk in love and to really be aware of any place where our own freedom in Christ is damaging someone else. Open our eyes to see that and fill us with humility and love. That love builds up. We want to build up. Thank you, Lord. So we're going to enter into a time now, just continuing to respond to the Holy Spirit, whatever he's doing. You do that at your seat. You can stand up. You can sit down. You can do whatever. But we also want to open up the front here just for a space of ministry. If you feel like the Holy Spirit is doing something in you, maybe you're sensing it in your body. It doesn't even have to do with the sermon. It's just... The presence of the Lord, if you feel like he's really on you in some way, we invite you just to come forward and just to stand up here. We have a prayer team, full prayer team tonight. I can also be available. And we just want to come alongside and just bless what God's doing. I'm going to put a hand on your shoulder, bless what God's doing. And then if we, as we're doing that, if we feel like God's laying something on our heart for you to share, like a word for you, we will share that and pray into that. But I just want to, let's just let this be about the Holy Spirit's ministry in us continuing. We love you, God. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Continue to move. We open our hearts to you, God. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in. You know, sometimes when you hear a message like this, there's some things that are stirred up and you're like, ah, oh, I'm like sitting in behind a computer, but like I'd really love to talk to someone. Uh, we just want to let you know that if you head over to our website, which is just cccgreeley.org, there's a little button at the bottom that says uh, prayer or talk to someone. Uh, if you click on that, literally within minutes, you will be connected with one of our pastors here at the church, and they would consider it just an honor to be able to pray with you, to answer any questions you have. Um, but yeah, you don't have to walk through any of this stuff alone. We're here for you. So uh, again, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we hope you have a great week.